It is so good to be with you again. And uh, unfortunately, we've, we've got to catch a plane uh, right after this, uh, our time together. But open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. And, and I, I want to talk to you about the greatest chapter in all of the Bible. The greatest chapter. By the way, I have a friend uh, who works with me, is on my staff. His name is Billy Graham. He's in charge of our evangelism. Uh, Billy always says this. He's, he's all of his life been in a wheelchair, and he is physically blind. He's not like the other Billy Graham, but I'm telling you, he's a powerful man of God. And he always says this. His favorite passage is whatever he's reading whenever he opens the Word of God. Amen? But the greatest passage of Scripture in all of the Bibles, what we're going to talk about briefly this morning, the greatest chapter in the Bible. John Piper put it this way. He said, the Bible is the greatest book. Do you agree with that? Amen. The Bible is the greatest book. Romans is the greatest letter. Romans 8 is the greatest chapter. And Romans 8, 1 is the greatest verse in the Bible. So there's something very important for all of us here this morning. I want, to just, I want God's word to bless you. I want it to feed you today. Romans 8 has to be understood because the word therefore is used. Whenever you hear the word therefore when you're reading the Bible and you, you see that word therefore, you need to ask this question. What's that therefore, therefore? Come on. And so that therefore is telling you something went on before that has an impact on what's being said. All right? And that's the way God works. In the Deepen Conference, he's been building and building and building. And, and God wants every one of us to go deeper with him. Amen? He wants us to trust him more. He wants us to love them more. He wants us to serve him more. And I'm not just talking about adding things to your calendar. I'm talking about going deeper in who he is. And this passage shows us how to do that. What's amazing about this passage is we just taught the whole book of Romans last year. And it's amazing to me that one time Paul mentions the Holy Spirit between chapters 1 through 7. But when he gets to chapter 8, he mentions the Holy Spirit 20 times. Chapter 8 is the Holy Spirit chapter in the book of Romans. And it's so important. But Romans 7.24, Paul confesses something. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You know what he's talking about? He's getting real. He's being honest. He's saying, listen, I struggle with sin. I struggle with a nature. I was born in sin. And, and, and the Bible says that all of us were born in sin. And that means that all of us have a propensity, a bent, if you will, to do sin. That given the opportunity to choose right and wrong, most of us would choose wrong. And sometimes we're deceived and misled, but other times it's just our heart's desire to do for ourselves and not what God would have us to do. And so Paul is in this struggle. He said, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I know I don't want to do are the very things I wind up doing. Have you ever felt like that? So Paul in chapter 7 is almost just, it's miserable to read in some ways, but it's honest and it's beautiful for that reason. John Stott, a great pastor and theologian, said, without the Holy Spirit, true Christian discipleship, going deeper in other words, true Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, indeed impossible. The Holy Spirit was given to the child of God that we might live the victorious Christian life, that we might go deeper with God. When you think about going deeper, don't worry about how you get there. It's the Holy Spirit's job to get you there. But what you must learn to do, and hopefully from this message, how we cooperate and work with the Holy Spirit. At another time, John Stott said something. He said about Romans, in Romans 8, everything changes. Remember, Paul struggles, and then all of a sudden, he makes this amazing declaration we're going to look at in Romans 8.1. He says in, in eight chapters, he said, then everything changes, because it's as if he finally reached the summit of an enormous 
vista full of wonders of God's gifts to his people open before us. And we should approach it with an appropriate thanksgiving and awe. What a statement. Kathy and I um, love to hike. Any other hikers in here? Well, you should be. I mean, look at the mountains you've got around you. Look at the desert around you. But we love to hike in Colorado. And so for the last two summers, we will take a little bit of time, and we have family in Denver, and so we'll go spend some time with the grandkids, then we'll head for the mountains. And we have, for the last two summers, hiked a 14er. Anybody know what a 14er is? It's a 14,000-foot high mountain. Now, we didn't have those down in Tucson, and I don't think you probably have them here. you got 10,000 maybe, but 14ers. There are 53 14ers in Colorado, and, and we've, we've knocked off two on our list, all right? You can drive up to one, that's Pikes Peak, okay? So if you've ever been to Pikes Peak, that's a 14er. But I'll just tell you something. Uh, last year, we went to uh, Mount Quandry, and, uh, and, and we got up there. We just got above the tree line. Uh, we had to go through some pretty steep rugged points, uh, rocks where you really couldn't see the trail anymore. You're kind of climbing a little bit. You get up to a big snow bank, and we're going through that. And this is in July. We go through this snow bank, and we get up there, and then you can see the peak. I mean, the peak, it, it, it's just like looking up here. It, it's just right there, like where that vent is. And you're thinking, boy, I can get there. And, and something happened. We were exhausted. We were tired. But something, and Kathy will tell you this is true, something happened to me. Something happened to me when I saw that peak. I, I got energy. And when I got to that point, I said, we can do this. And I mean, something just came over me. Something got a hold of me. And I, I'm, I just shot straight up to the top. Amen? And so what Paul's telling us here is, I'm struggling, I'm struggling, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with my sin nature. I'm struggling with the things I don't want to do that I need to do and so forth. And then he says, when all of a sudden I see the peak, look at the peak. Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Somebody say amen to that. Condemnation is a legal term. Kata krima. You hear the word crime in there? It's when you stand before the judge, he slaps the gavel, and he sentences you because you have been found guilty. And he says there, that's called condemnation. You are condemned for the crimes you've committed. But this is saying, look at it, verse 1, chapter 8 of Romans. This is why this is the greatest verse in the greatest chapter, the greatest book in the Bible. He says, there is therefore now, how much? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You may feel condemned. You may know that you're wrong. You may know that you have struggles. But when you come to Christ, the Bible says what Jesus did for us on the cross means that our condemnation was all put upon him. We are no longer bearing that condemnation. Spurgeon said it would be unjust to hold the believer responsible for sin because that would require two payments for the same sin. In other words, I shared this in the conference this week, that I was in a courtroom one time, and I watched a prosecutor, and I watched a defender, and I put myself in that, that guy's position of thinking how guilty I am, and how the devil accuses me. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren, but how Jesus stood up, and he gave testimony of the piercing through his hands, through his feet, through his side, through his brow, and we said, these are evidence that I have borne his sin on the cross, and God has accepted that. Spurgeon says that's why it is wrong to try a man twice for the same crime. In our legal system, that's also illegal. This applies to the past failures of your life. This applies to your current struggle with sin. This applies, listen to me, to any future possibility of sin you might stumble into. Now listen to me. You could take this, if you wish, as an excuse to keep living in a sinful lifestyle. But that would be a very foolish thing to do. 
Considering all that Christ has done for us. When Jesus died, how many sins had you committed? He died 2,000 years ago. How many sins had you committed? Zero. You weren't even around. You weren't even a gleam in your father's eye. You understand what I'm saying? Your father wasn't around. But he died once and for all for all of our sins, which means he died for everything we have done, will do, or could do. Jesus wiped out our present and our future condemnation. He says there is no more condemnation. I would write what I'm about to say down. Write this down if you would. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. Somebody say amen. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. Why? Jeremiah 31 tells us in verse 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. This liberates, folks. I'm talking about more of that liberation in just a second, but just hear me. The Holy Spirit delivers you from a performance trap, from a performance trap. You don't have to perform to earn God's favor. You just don't have to do it. He loves you. You're the object of his love. He picked you. He chose you. The Bible says before the foundations of the earth, he, he wants you. And by the way, not just you. So don't make this about you. It's about him. His heart's desire is that every tribe, every tongue around the world would hear this gospel and be able to accept this glorious truth of the greatest chapter in the Bible, the greatest verse in the Bible, is that in Christ there is now the possibility that there's no condemnation. It removes the performance trap, but listen to me, it also removes the pretending trap. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to act like we're something we're not. We can be truthful about ourselves and truthful about one another. Uh, we, you know, we're like the guy sometimes who's standing and, and he's in a pool and somebody throws him a beach ball and he pushes it down below the surface. It takes a lot of energy and strength to keep that because everything in that, the air molecules, want to push that ball back up. You could even, some of you would be talented and strong enough to be able to stand on that thing, right, in the water and keep it from coming up. But you can't do anything else in the pool because all of your energy is to keep that thing from coming back to the surface. I know people like that in my church. There's people I love. And they spend all their time worrying about how people see them, how they perceive them. And they're, they're hiding things. They're standing on things. I'll just tell you, it'll drive you crazy. It will not bless you to keep hiding your sin from your mate, from one another, from brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ. I don't mean you have to go put it on a billboard, but what you have to do is get honest with God and say, I'm tired of this. Man, I see people having fun in this pool, going deeper with God, but I'm standing over here protecting my sin and my reputation because I think that's the only thing in the world. It's not. Listen, the performance trap and the pretending trap, Romans 8.1 frees us from both of these. Let's read it again. There is therefore now, present tense, you can live free right now. You can live in the glorious, the glorious position of knowing that all of your sins have been removed and that God is not bringing them up to you again. Even if your own heart condemns you and you constantly remind yourself of your failures, he said, God is greater than your heart. Look at verse 2. For the law, the law of the spirit of life sets you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. There's a law of God's spirit that when he comes inside of a believer, when you trust Christ as your savior, the Bible says you are baptized. It's called spirit baptism. You receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. But then he says it's different from the law of uh, the, the principle of the law. He's not talking about the Ten Commandments. 
He's talking about an old principle. If we can keep the law, then we'll be accepted by God. It's a very statement I made a moment ago. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. But most world religions teach the opposite of that. Most world religions say you follow the ninefold path. You make a trip to Mecca. You visit this place. You visit that place. You bow to this idol. You bow to that idol, and then if you do these things faithfully, then God will owe you eternal life. And that's not how Christianity works. The gospel is totally different. The gospel is God saw you, picked you, sent his son to die for you to bear your sins so that you could receive this as a gift from God. And the Holy Spirit is the key. Some of you are ready to trust Christ right now. I'm going to tell you, it's because the Holy Spirit's been working in your heart. It's not because of the speaker, it's because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's been drawing you. You say, but no, it's my circumstance. My mom died. This happened, that happened. I got fired, or this, I'm going through this difficulty. I got COVID. Listen, no, no. It is God who is working all things together. The Bible says the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. He convicts us of righteousness, our need for the righteousness of God. And maybe if we do something right sometimes, he goes, good, good guy, good way, good dude, good dude, good dude. No, he said, good job. How about that? That's even better. i got to stop trying to impress you. Listen to me. Here's the truth. You can't lose when you trust Jesus, and you can't lose with the Holy Spirit. I, I, I meet people, and I share the gospel with them. And this, amen. Amen. Here's what their fear is. They, they say to me, I, I, I believe it. I believe it. I know I want it, but I, I'm afraid I won't be able to do it. Because they think about religion. They think in terms of religion, i got to be able to do this. No, you don't. Because this is, this is so rigged. This is such a rigged deal. God will save you, and the Holy Spirit will help you be saved. He will give you the strength you need to do all that God expects and requires. But what's awesome, I, I love going to Israel. I've been to Israel several times, and we love walking in streets that maybe Jesus walked in, places where Jesus hung out a synagogue that Jesus taught in in Capernaum, some of my favorite places. But what's really awesome, though, is I think to myself sometimes when I'm sitting there, wouldn't it have been wonderful to walk with Jesus? But it is, Yeah, amen, amen, amen. But it is not more wonderful than having Jesus in you. You see, Jesus is on a walk. That's why this church is so well-named. Jesus is on a walk, and he's invited you to his walk. He says, come on, come on. Some of you work in a casino, Jesus is walking with you into that casino. Some of you are working in some hard places. He walks into those hard places. Some of you work in places where people are foul. They are foul, and their language is hard to put up with. But I'm just telling you, Jesus is there. That's exactly the places he goes to. He said the physician doesn't come for the healthy people. It comes for the sick people. And I want you to work with some sick folks because I want you ultimately, by the power of my Holy Spirit, to let them see me. Jesus didn't live in a cathedral, guys. He, he did life. He was in homes. He would be in your home. Imagine inviting Jesus to your home and the whole neighborhood comes out. You can't even get near the front door of the house because people are looking in the windows. They pull the windows up. They want to hear him. And all of a sudden, these four dudes who have a friend who is paralyzed come up and they start ripping off your roof. And they lowered, they lowered their friend in front of Jesus. There's some religious people in there. And so they're, they're watching this whole thing and the shingles are falling down and there's dust all over the place. This guy comes lowering down. And Jesus looks at him. He's paralyzed. been that way all of his life. And he says, uh, first thing, your sins are forgiven. All the religious people, whoa, lock up. His sins are forgiven. Who is this that forgives sins? This guy's arrogant. Does he think he's God? 
And Jesus knew what they were thinking, looked at him, and he said, don't be troubled that I just forgave his sins. If I can forgive his sins, I can also say, rise up and walk. The guy gets up, and he starts walking. Now, I don't know this because it's not in the text, but I'm convinced Jesus also looked up at those four guys and goes, hey, fix the roof before you leave. Man, what a story. Or the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery, the Bible says, and they brought her to kill her. They they were going to stone her. By the way, there are 12 countries in this world that still will stone a woman for adultery. If you think we've made progress, no, we're de-evolving. All right, we're going in the wrong direction. The whole world is, but here's the point. Jesus, they asked Jesus, they were trying to trick him. They said, we're going to stone her right now. You got anything to say? And he said, yeah, I'll tell you this. The first one of you without sin, go ahead, throw the rock. And the Bible says that the oldest one's left first. What does that tell you? We're the ones with more guilt than anybody else. And they're going, oh, I'm out of here. Drop the stones. Stones start dropping all over the place. Plunk, 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 plunk. They all leave, and it's just Jesus and this woman. He says, where are your accusers? Well, at this point, she's so mortified, thinking, I'm about to die. She looks up. Can you see the mascara running down her face? Can you see the snot coming out of her nose? Do you see her? And this is not what she dreamed for her life. And she's come to the point of death, and I'm telling you, there's Jesus smiling at her. And he looks right at her, and he says, uh, where are your accusers? She goes, they're all gone. He said, well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. See, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's how Jesus, when you walked with Jesus, that's what you saw every day. The Holy Spirit does the same thing. He is Jesus in us. In the book of Acts, he's called the Spirit of Jesus. He prayed. Jesus prayed. He said, send another comforter of the exact same kind. In other words, Father, instead of walking with Jesus on a path, I want to walk in people throughout Las Vegas. I want to bring my love to this city. I want to use my people at walk who take the walk with me. Our gospel message is not to tell people to stop sinning, but to tell them that God loves them and has forgiveness for them and transformation for them. And when they worry about being able to keep the rules, you say, no, 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 that's not how this rolls. You trust him. He comes to live in you, and he'll change your heart. He'll change your desires. Has your heart been changed? You see, there's no more condemnation. The penalty of sin has been removed. He liberates us from not just the penalty of sin, but the power of sin. Look at verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. God's not after your obedience, friend. He's after your heart obedience. He wants, your, he wants you to obey him from the heart. Do you obey him from the heart? How does this happen? Well, there's a second reason Romans 8 is the greatest passage in all the Bible. The first one is it contains the greatest declaration. There's no more condemnation. Amen? The second, it contains the greatest liberation. Look at verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. The, the, the word here in the original language for set your mind means to exercise your mental capacity. Remember what we said yesterday for those that were here? We said that Christianity at its core is a thinking person's religion. 
because God spoke through his word, we have to take his word in and think, how does that apply to me? What do I do next? What's my next step? Where do I go? What does that mean? And, and so because it's a thinking person's faith, it is so important that when we hear the word of God, read the word of God. By the way, the number one indicator that a person is going deeper with the Lord and spiritual growth is that they are daily encountering the word of God. I read the whole Bible through every year. That's not as momentous as it sounds. Every day, just read two chapters from the Old Testament, one chapter from the New Testament. You'll knock it out in less than a year, actually. But read the Bible. Get the Word of God in your heart. But, but man, you know, book of Numbers is like reading a Hebrew phone book. I know it is, but hang with it. Get through it. You don't have to pronounce all the names right. Just read it. Look through it. Skim it. But there's such powerful truth in all of God's Word. And when we're engaging the Word of God, it begins to change us. Now, Paul does not say fix your mind here on the Holy Spirit. What he says is that we, uh, the Bible tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. But, but it's so important. The Holy Spirit, by the way, I need to say this. If you're not sure of what I'm about to say, listen carefully. The Holy Spirit is not a thing. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's the third person of the Trinity. He and the Father are one. He and the Son are one. When you have the Holy Spirit in your life... The Holy Spirit is Jesus in you living out this faith. The Bible says set your mind on him. In other words, think about him. Ask him daily to fill you. Put on the whole armor of God. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 6, and you're going to be studying that here in the next few weeks. But it's very important that you acknowledge your need for the Holy Spirit. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if anything, listen to this, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What are you thinking about? What are you watching? What are you reading? I'm, I'm not going to sit here and give you a list of books not to watch or not to read and, and, a, and a list of shows not to watch. But I'm just telling you guys, if you keep watching YouTube for conspiracy theories of all the crazy things happening in our country, you're going to go nuts. Can I just tell you? And, and even if they're true, even if you say, oh, you just don't know this is a major, yeah, I'm sure. But let's, let's say it's all true. Is God not on his throne? What are you worried about? You are distracted, my friend. You are distracted. Well, the election was rigged, this was, I know, all kinds of things. And some of those things may or may not be true. That's not the point anymore. The point is we're going to be God's people in Las Vegas. Then we're going to have to engage people with the gospel of Jesus Christ get our minds focused on Christ and not the craziness all around us. The mission of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus. And that should be the mission of Walk Church. And it is. And it should be the mission of every member of Walk Church that we would glorify Jesus. Last night I came and uh, it, it was dark by the time before the service started. And this wonderful brother over here was out with some lights, and he was hooking up some cords, and he put lights at the bottom of the rampway that leads up to the door. You just came across that rampway in daylight. But last night, and he did it to make sure that people didn't trip, right? But really, those lights, when I got out of my car, I saw them. I thought, man, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't say, as a light fixture, look at me. He is throwing light onto this building so people could see to come into the church, which meets in a warehouse, Right? So the point is the Holy Spirit casts light upon Jesus. He does not speak of himself. He doesn't draw attention to himself. He only speaks what the, what the Father wants him to speak just like Jesus. So you and I, 
are, are, are never to worship the Holy Spirit in the sense. We do worship because he's part of the Godhead, but we don't draw attention to him. Be careful. It's easy to get out of balance, to get so excited about the Holy Spirit that we forget about Jesus. Come on. Because Jesus does not talk, the Holy Spirit does not talk. He points us to Jesus. And our mission is simply to be filled with him, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And by the way, you do that by faith. You simply ask the Holy Spirit, fill me. I'm a believer. You're in me. I'm going to ask you to fill me. And I'm going to tell you, the best time to do that is when you're in a crisis situation, maybe you want to say something really nasty back to somebody who just said something very nasty to you. Best thing to do is say, Holy Spirit, help me be like Jesus to this person. It may be the person you're married to. There's probably a 100% chance it is the person you're married to. It may be to an enemy or someone that threatens you. But listen to me. We have to be very cautious of not quenching or grieving the Holy Spirit. To quench the Holy Spirit is like to pour water on a fire. When we quench the Holy Spirit, it's when he's stirring in our hearts for us to do something. Maybe give a witness to somebody. Maybe to give, to be generous. You have this impulse. Maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit wants you to give care to somebody and, and to listen to somebody's heartache and to encourage somebody, but you resist that. You go, oh, I don't want to look stupid. I don't want to look foolish. Uh, I've got my money. I need my money. It's my money. And, and you're thinking that you quench him. And listen to me. This is why it's dangerous. If you keep quenching the Holy Spirit, you will grieve him. To quench and to grieve, the Bible talks about. Grieving the Holy Spirit means that you, you, you're, you're refusing to grow in the Lord. Did you know that the crisis you face right around the corner, it's not a crisis, it's an opportunity to let the Holy Spirit reveal Jesus in and through you and to you. And, and God is doing that. Now, look at verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. You're going to set your mind on something. If we set our mind on the flesh, it's death. I don't need to tell anybody who's ever driven down the strip in Las Vegas what it means to set your mind on the flesh. Amen? For to set your, hey, we're not real pious in South Alabama. Our people come to Las Vegas and hope that pray that whatever they did in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas. For the set your mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Listen to this. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. I'm going to give you five selves that are mentioned here or five, not in the text, but five selves that, that exemplify what we're talking about. First of all, there's self-will. When we set our mind on the flesh, we will set our mind on our will, what my self-will. I'm going to do my will first. Hey, it's my life, right? Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do, right? There's self-will. Secondly, there's self-glory. When we do something for people to look at us and admire us. Thirdly, there's self-gratification, where we just want pleasure above God. Did you know God created pleasure? Somebody say Amen. God created pleasure. Devil didn't create pleasure. Devil didn't create sex. He didn't create anything that brings pleasure. He, he didn't create food. God created all of those things for us to enjoy. But when we take it out of excess, we only care about self-gratification. There's self-will, self-glory, self-gratification. There's self-righteousness. That's where you look down on other people and think you're better than they are. And then there's self-sufficiency. I can handle anything. I can do whatever I want. It's my life. I'll do as I please. But when a person is full of the Holy Spirit, listen, he flips all of those. It's not, it's not self-will. It is Christ's will. It's not my glory. It's Christ's glory. It's not my gratification. It's 
Christ's gratification. It's not my righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness. It's my, not my sufficiency. It's Christ's sufficiency. You see, we quench and grieve the Holy Spirit when we only live for ourselves. And the Bible says every day a believer says, Holy Spirit, fill me that I might live for Christ, that I might know Christ and make him known. Verse 8 then says, look at verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's a powerful statement. Why? Because our sin nature is always loyal to ourselves above God. Look at verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Friend, do you have the Holy Spirit? Now, there are some people who believe the Holy Spirit comes in a second blessing, a second wave. You get saved, and then somewhere down when you really get serious about God, you'll get the Holy Spirit. That's not how this rolls. Look look at verse 9 again. He he says, you, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. In fact, if the Spirit Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So if you're a child of God, guess what? You got the baptism of the Holy Spirit when you asked Jesus into your heart. Now, it doesn't mean the Holy Spirit gets all of you. That's what this is about. But it's important to understand that he's not a part-time resident. He's not a visitor. It says he uses the word dwells, which means when you invite Christ into your heart, Jesus, Jesus through the Holy Spirit's moving in, guys. He's going to go through your closets. He's going to look at what you're watching. I mean, would you watch some of this stuff? Would I watch some of the stuff I watch if Jesus was sitting in the living room with me? At some point, Jesus is going to go, hey, that Curse of Oak Island show you keep watching? They're never going to find that stuff. Why are you wasting your time watching this? Or, or the things that we watch or the things that we read or the, the conversations that we have. He goes through closets of stuff we've hidden just in case we want to go back to those old habits. And he cleans them out. He says, listen, I know this is hard for you. I know you can't let go of that stuff. But don't worry about it. Step back. Let me do it. I know how to clean up this mess. And he'll unlock those doors on your heart, and he will clean that up. But you've got to let him dwell. You've got to let him dwell. Otherwise, we just quench and we grieve him incessantly. I'll give you a couple of thoughts to think about. This life in the Spirit, this fellowship with the Spirit is a game changer. So why in the world do we settle for self-improvement sermons? Man, just try it harder this year. Try to, try to, try to love somebody a little bit more this year. Try to, try to be a better person. Here's five things you can do. Friend, I'm telling you, you've got in the Holy Spirit everything you need, child of God, to bring glory to Jesus Christ. Just yield to him. Say, Holy Spirit, fill my life. Use my life for your glory. And know this, that in his time, he will help you. He sanctifies us. He helps us get better. He helps us get victory. He helps us find liberty. And and some of you are so hard on yourself. You need to say, Holy Spirit, I know, like Paul, that I'm a wretched man. But Holy Spirit, thanks be unto God for this indescribable gift of Christ in me, the hope of glory. You see, faith in Christ is what saves us, not trying to just go back to church regularly. Faith in Christ saves us, not just trying to improve our lives. So come to Christ. I have hope because of Jesus Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit in me. And I have hope that is a durable hope. I'm going to tell you how I know it's a durable hope because I have seen it tested in my life. In August of 2007, my wife Tammy and I had just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. 
And uh, amen, amen. It was a good time. Yeah, you guys, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love that you clap. And uh, so we had our 25th wedding anniversary. And uh, on an August afternoon, she was taking our daughter to Hattiesburg, Mississippi from Mobile to give an audition for a, maybe a cello professor who was going to teach her. She was 13 years old, um, incredible young musician, as my wife was too. And uh, we kissed, and she said, uh, I'll be home for dinner, and we'll ha- I'll have it ready by 6. And so, great. And she pulled out, and it's the last time I ever saw her. Uh, she, halfway between Mobile and Hattiesburg, a semi-tractor and trailer suddenly ran out of gas, and the driver just left it in the middle of the highway. She plowed in the back of it, had no idea. We have no idea exactly why she didn't see it in time. We know she tried. We could tell by the, the skid marks uh, on the highway. And my life suddenly was turned upside down. And I'm going to just tell you, I didn't want to pastor anymore. I didn't want to preach ever again. And there were points in my life where I did not want to live. And, And that struggle taught me something because the next morning when I woke up hoping that I just awakened from a nightmare, I didn't know what to do. So I went to do what I'd done every day before that. Not every day in my life by any means, but for many years before that moment, God had prepared me because he st- I start the first part of my day with a cup of coffee and my Bible in a private, secret place where alone with God we meet. And I didn't know what else to do but to cry out to him. And I want to tell you something. The indwelling Holy Spirit is the only answer for why I am here today. Now, my precious bride over here, I have a, I have a friend who's a pastor in New Orleans who calls his, his wife his... Uh, his prime rib. Amen? <laughs> My prime rib over here was married to a, a man of God in Denver, Colorado named Rick Ferguson who pastored the Riverside Baptist Church. They were on a family vacation several years before this, and they hit something in the road, blew out the tire. Their boat, they were pulling jackknife. They turned over. Everybody walked away from the accident except for Rick. So God brought us together. And we freak out all of our divorced friends because when they come into our house, there's pictures of Rick, there's pictures of Tammy, and they're going, this is weird. This is weirdness. And I said this in the last service, you can love, men, listen to me, you can love two women at the same time, but one of them has to live in heaven. Come on. If you don't, you're going to be living there soon or, or worse. And I'm never expected to not love Tammy or to pretend that everything in life is perfect. And Kathy's testimony is strong. God brought us together, and we knew that he had a purpose in all these things. Do we understand it all? To this day, we don't understand it all. But what we're a living testimony of is that there's a God of grace and a God who, through his spirit, keeps us pressurized on the inside to endure the worst blast on the outside. And, friend, if you are God's child, he has given you his spirit Be full of his spirit. Do not quench or grieve his spirit. This is the message. This is the glorious victory that we have, that no matter what this life throws at you, God promises he will see you through. Pamela, he will see you through. He is holding you inside and out. Listen to me. Everybody in this room, you're going to go through something. Don't worry. Don't worry. Trust that when that moment comes, you will see the hand of God. Now, here's the question. Do you know him? Because it is the most intimate relationship in the world. Don't settle for a religion that speaks here and tells you do this, do that. Only, only receive the glory of the invitation of Jesus 
follow me, and I will come live in you, and you will be my witness. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Lord Jesus, thank you for this gospel. Thank you for this word. I pray for those listening right now who are ready. They are ready. You have spoken. You've drawn them. You've brought them here that right now that they would receive Christ. Lord, would you help them right now pray? Pray their own prayer. Pray, oh God, I'm a sinner and I cannot save myself. Jesus, come into my life. And Lord, your glorious power will come inside of them right now. Forgive them as if they had never sinned. And that, Lord, you would pour out your favor on them just like you did your son. When the dove came out of heaven, you said, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. They can never do anything to make you love them more than you do. They can never do anything to make you love them less. They are born now again as your children, and your spirit lives in them. Lord, help them to grow deeper, deeper with you. And your spirit has been ministering to hearts all over this room. Whatever you've been saying, Lord, would you help us to obey you? Don't put God off. There's something to confess. Confess your sin to the Lord. Get free of it. If there's something to do, don't just write it down. Commit now and start doing it for the glory of God. Father, bless Walk Church. Bless the city of Las Vegas, dear God. Lord, may may this whole city walk with Jesus because of churches like Walk Church. And Lord, may we see this nation that desperately needs you, this world that greatly needs you, that maybe God would move in such a way that Las Vegas is the city and the people that lead the nations to Christ. May it be, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name.